Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your love in Jesus Christ for us, that nothing can separate us from this love. We call upon you, therefore, to, uh, to teach us, to instruct us, to open our minds, to enlighten our minds, to understand the things you have taught us in your word. We pray that you would edify us in this way, to build up your church, to glorify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to look at the doctrine of sanctification, and we're going through the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we come today to chapter 13 of sanctification. Um, And if you're in the hymnal, that's on 856, page 856. Um, Sanctification is one of the benefits that we receive in Christ. As we're going through the Confession of Faith, it, it begins this portion, this section, kind of following effectual calling, first by uh, describing the works of, or, or acts of God's grace, and then it's going to talk about kind of our response to these things, or the way we apprehend these things, because it's going to talk, it first talks about uh, justification, adoption, sanctification, then it's going to talk about faith and repentance and good works, and kind of our uh, response to or participation in uh, this salvation that we have in Christ. But it's beginning by talking about God's grace and uh, what he grants us in Christ. Uh, when we are united to Christ in our effectual calling, uh, we receive both uh, this new status of, of being righteous and adopted, and also this, uh, this change, this transformation by which we become a new creation and uh, more and more are being conformed to God's image. And it's that transformation that we call sanctification, this progressive work of transforming the sinner unto the likeness of God uh, in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And that we call sanctification. And so, sanctification and justification are never apart from one another. They're not dependent upon each other. They're both dependent upon union with Christ, uh, but they are never found apart from each other. Uh, they're distinct, but, but not separate. Uh, let's go ahead then and look at paragraph one of sanctification. <clears throat> they who are once effectually called and regenerated having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified, really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, by his word and spirit's dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Uh, This is the basic definition of sanctification. Um, It's describing those who have been effectually called and regenerated, again we've talked about that, um, are further sanctified. Um, Now, let's begin just with the word uh, sanctified or sanctification. Um, Sanctification basically means being made holy. Uh, It's God's work in which he really and personally makes a person holy Uh, makes a person holy as God is holy. Uh, We are called to be holy, and uh, God actually makes us such. Come on in. 
We have some uh, coloring pages for the kids on the table over there. <laughs> Come on in. So sanctification is God's work in which he really and personally makes a person holy as he is holy. Uh, now, it might help clarify, just as far as the English words go, that there's a number of related words that sound like sanctification. There's sanctification, sanctify, sanctity, saint, sacred. You hear how all these kind of sound similar? They're from a Latin root, you know, sanctus. Um, someone says Holy Spirit in Latin, it's spiritus sanctus. Um, it's, there's another English word that that's also means the same thing, holy, right? Holy or holiness. Uh, it's the same concept, it's just coming from a Germanic root instead of a Latin root. Um, and so, uh, from holig, uh, holy, holiness. So, sanctification, it's all the same in Greek. Uh, there's just one Greek word for holy and sanctification, uh, or holiness and sanctification. So, when we're talking about sanctification, we're talking about holiness. Um, holiness can refer to something being set apart and consecrated unto God, something becoming sacred, you know, like the temple was sacred. It was not an ordinary house. It was a holy house. Um, but it also can refer to something being purified and cleansed of sin and being uh, itself uh, made uh, like unto God. And so there's a word for uh, holiness and sanctification. There's the verb form, to make holy or to sanctify. And then there's also uh, the, the adjective, you know, holy ones, which we translate as saints. That's one of the common words for believers, it's more common than the word Christian, that we are called uh, the saints, the holy ones, the ones who have been made holy and are being made holy by God. Now, when is the beginning of sanctification? When does sanctification begin? What's the start of sanctification? Justification. Not quite. Ju- it's actually earlier than justification, logically speaking. Because we're justified by faith, so justification presumes faith. And where, where does faith come from? Regeneration, regeneration right. And it begins by God's work. Uh, regeneration is kind of referring to that de- definitive point at which this work begins. Um, but notice how the confession of faith uses the word are further sanctified. Uh, so sanctification has already kind of begun in effectual calling, in uh, regeneration, but we are further sanctified, more and more now as a progressive work, because uh, we are fundamentally changed, but we are not completely uh, and finally changed in our effectual calling. There's still work to be done. And so after this beginning, they are further sanctified. And so there's a definitive sense in which a person gets a new heart and a new spirit, um, and the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. All right, and so that's important for sanctification, that sin no longer has dominion over you like it did when you were fallen. Uh, you have a new heart, and it's that thing that's been implanted in you or renewed within you that is being strengthened and increased and, and growing. Um, for example, in Romans 6, it says in verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
Uh, so we were crucified with Christ. Those who have been crucified with Christ have crucified those sinful desires and affections. Uh, that, that sin does not have dominion over you, so don't let it have dominion over you. It's, it ought not. You've been raised with Christ to newness of life. Uh, Ezekiel 36 is another passage in which this, both the definitive and progressive sense of, of sanctification is mentioned in that promise of the new covenant. Um, it says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Um, and so there's this transformation, and then there's also this you know, work of the spirit dwelling within you that in your life now going forward, you learn more and more to obey his rules by his grace, he himself working this within uh, the believer. Uh, this is... Uh, what it means or what it looks like for the spirit to be work at, in a person. Um, it, it doesn't make them uh, crazy. It does make them zealous. It does make them uh, uh, have a zeal for, for God and true and good desires. But often when people talk about the spirit now, sometimes it's uh, kind of a, uh, a way simply to talk about uh, being emotional. Or, or something of that sort, or you know, speaking in tongues, and what they're actually talking about is not really biblical tongues, and that's another topic. But uh, one thing that the Spirit does is it dwells within you to cause you to walk in His statutes and be careful to obey uh, His rules. Now, this process is progressive. Uh, what, is, what do I mean by progressive? doesn't mean, like, politically speaking, progressive. Right, right. It, it's getting better and better, more so as, uh, as time goes along. It's not all done at once. It's something that's growing, like a tree grows progressively, right? It doesn't just all of a sudden become a big tree. It happens uh, piece by piece. That's why the word, both in the catechism answer and in the confession, uses the word more and more. More and more, more and more, this is happening. Um, And there's two parts to this process, two parts to this progressive sanctification. Um, Let me ask the kids. Do the kids have the um, coloring page, right? I I thought the coloring page was not especially intuitive what it means, but (laughs) if you look at the picture... um, the, what the picture is supposed to be showing is a person uh, killing his sins and burying them in the tombs. So, he, you know, he's mortifying sin. He's killing sin. I think it, the person's even supposed to be John Owen, who said, you know, you must be killing sin or else it will be killing you. Uh, we are called to, to kill our sins, to put to death those sinful desires and lusts that are within us so that we are not, don't feel that tug anymore. Uh, we go to the root, you know, not just worrying about the actions. We do worry about actions, but also even in our heart, uh, those lusts and desires. We want to crucify them and kill them. Uh, in Romans 8, verse 13, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
The deeds of the flesh here, the deeds of the body, are referring to, to sinful things, the way of our uh, fallen nature. If we live according to the flesh, you know, what's the end of that path? What's the end of that path? I just said it. Death, death. death. Uh, but if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The end of that road, the end of that pilgrim pathway is life. And how do we put, what, by what power do we put to death the deeds of the body? It says, by the Spirit, right? It's by God's grace. It's by the Spirit working within us, but it's also something that, as a consequence, we therefore do, uh, that we are putting this into action, but of course, it's by the Spirit. It's by God's grace. So there's this, the, the big word for that is mortification, which simply means killing. We want to kill sin. We want to get away, put off that old self and its ways, um, sinful passion desires are more and more weakened and mortified. That's not only something we do, though. That's something that God does in us, is to more and more weaken these things so that they have less power over us. But also, it's, there's a positive thing. Not only are we killing sins, what else are we doing? Or what else is God doing within us? More and more renewing us. Yeah, quickening us. Uh, quickening us, not like making us faster, but by making us more alive, enlivening us. Um, believers are more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness. So not only are we putting stuff off, but he also puts stuff on us. Um, a, a new way, a new heart, uh, new uh, desires. Saving graces here is a term used in the confession. Um, that is those graces which accompany salvation, um, uh, faith and repentance are both called saving graces, not exclusively, but those are explicitly mentioned as saving graces, things that are not common to all mankind. Um, but these things like repentance and faith are implanted in us and then more and more stirred up and strengthened and practiced. <clears throat> The seeds of these graces are sown in our hearts and increased and strengthened. Uh, we saw that in Ezekiel, but we can also find this in uh, Colossians. You can find this earlier in Paul's prayers. When Paul's prayers for the saints often involve praying that God would work in them so that they would walk in a manner worthy of God. We can also find in chapter 3, uh, verses 9 through 10, where he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So, have you already put off the old self? Have you already put on the new self? Yes, but that new self is still being renewed. It's, it's, it's growing. It's becoming more and more practiced, more and more you know, strengthened in your life. Um, we ought to be done with immorality and anger and slander, but you know, we still have to put them away. Uh, and more and more, God is working in us compassionate hearts, humility, patience, uh, love, uh, ways of the, the new self. And so that, and what's the, what is the thing that we are being conformed to? What's the, what's the goal of this vivification? The image of Christ. 
yeah, being conformed to the image of his son or, or the, the image of God, which of course is, is the image of Christ. Um, this knowledge and righteousness and holiness that we are, um, that we were created in and we fell from and we ought to be conformed to. In fact, we get those phrases, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, which we use to describe how we were made to be like God. We actually get those from passages that talk about how we're being renewed in that image from Ephesians and Colossians. So yeah, we're being made like God, to be holy like he is holy, to be perfect like he is perfect, to be merciful like he is merciful. Now, is sanctification necessary or optional? Necessary, necessary. Notice what the confession says here. Um, To the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Is that kind of strong language? Without this, we're not talking about justification. We're talking about real holiness personally within you. Without that, no one shall see the Lord. That you have to have this to see the Lord. You know, seeing the Lord speaking of, you know, glory in in heaven. Uh, Well, they're borrowing a phrase from Scripture itself. Uh, If you turn to Hebrews chapter 12. There it says, it's verse 14, but I'll go back to 12. Therefore, lift up, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Um, And in context also, it's been talking about discipline, you know, and discipline. Uh, discipline it aims at uh, this holiness and righteousness. Um, he disciplines us, verse 10, he disciplines us for our good that we might share his holiness. You know, so we're talking about sanctification. We're not talking about justification in this point. This is something that God is working in us by his discipline that we are striving for at the same time, um, without which no one shall see the Lord. Now, it's not what gives us a right to glory, not what gives us a right to heaven. It's not a merit that earns these things, uh, but it is the pathway there. It is the works that God has ordained for his people. It's inseparably connected with uh, Christ. If we're in union with Christ, we're going to have this. It makes us you know, fit for the enjoyment of that estate. And so without it, no one will see the Lord. We find it in the Beatitudes as well. In... The beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's very similar language to Hebrews. Uh, Are you pure in heart? Uh, Hopefully. You're not going to see God if you're not pure in heart. Yeah, these ought to be descriptions of Christ's disciples. Um, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, we're going to look at the fact that, that sin still dwells within his people, um, it is, but it is a definitive change from the way we used to be. It is who we really are and ought to be, and it's more and more uh, the case that we are this way. That hopefully you're peacemakers, you're pure, you, you're meek, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then later on in that same sermon, uh, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that is a, 
interesting saying, right? Because at first, the scribes and Pharisees seemed to be like really righteous people, right? They were really uh, zealous about being righteous. But were they actually righteous? Did they get God's law right? No, no. They, they had an outward form for the praise of man, often replacing his law with their own traditions. But we need a different kind of righteousness as disciples of Christ, an inner transformation of uh, a pure heart, uh, being merciful, being meek, uh, not for the praise of man, but as children of God. So yeah, we, uh, this is, doesn't give us a right to glory. It's a gift of his grace, but uh, it is the way of his disciples, and it's the way he uh, works in his people, those who will inherit the kingdom. But those who practice immorality and, and, and stealing and other things, it's often a phrase used that they will not inherit the kingdom of God, those who continue in them without uh, repentance. So yes, sanctification is necessary, but of course the good news is it's a grace. It's, we're talking about a work of God. This is something that God does in all those uh, who have been born again, all those who are called to salvation, the same people that have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, and that gets me to the last point on this paragraph, uh, what is the source of sanctification? It is a, as the catechism say, what's, what's the beginning of the catechism answer? Anyone who has the coloring page there, or who has it memorized? Sanctification is a work of what? Yeah, a work of my power, right? No, a work of God's free grace. Uh, and, and that is the source of sanctification. It's a work of God. And it's also through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. Uh, not just justification is, but sanctification is too. He died to destroy the power of sin over us. He rose that we might be quickened to newness of life and raised with him. Um, think of Romans 6 and other places. And then it's applied to us by his word and spirit dwelling in them. We've seen the spirit mentioned already, Ezekiel, Romans. And of course, the spirit, what's the sword of the spirit? What does the spirit use? The word, the word of God. And so, um, as Jesus prayed, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. We're sanctified by his word and spirit dwelling within us. All right, let's go to paragraph two. This sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. There abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part. Whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. All right, so this life is a life of war. You are at war. And even if you don't want to be at war, there is war upon you. Uh, Peter says, abstain from sinful passions that wage war against your soul. They are seeking to destroy you and corrupt you. And so you have to be on guard. Uh, He says in Galatians that there is this conflict between what he calls the flesh and the spirit. Now, the flesh here doesn't just refer to your skin. Uh, it refers to what's born of flesh, your, your fallen sinful nature, that which still some remnants of that corruption, of that original sin, remain in the believer. Um, what am I looking for? What did I just say? Um, 
Galatians, Galatians. <clears throat> Galatians goes on to describe what are the works of the flesh, right? The works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. Do you find any of these things working within you sometimes? You see this law working in your members that is contrary to what you really want to do. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit uh, is things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are at odds, those two ways, those two principles. And so he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So, are Christians perfect? They're not yet perfect. Uh, our uh, Christians ha- are at war within them. They are, have been set aside. They've been made holy, but they still have some remnants of this original sin within them that rises up, tries to express itself, wages war against your soul, and so there's a war. A continual and irreconcilable war. No surrender. Uh, no, no terms of surrender are offered on either side. But, Paragraph 3 is really uh, comforting. (laughs) Paragraph 3 tells us what about what's going to happen in this war. In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome, and so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, the remaining corruption may prevail for a time. Uh, There are those who are truly converted uh, who yet might fall into sin, who who might struggle with sin and and even, you know, be committing uh, sin in ways that are egregious. You can think of how the Apostle Peter uh, denied Christ. That was uh, an instance in which that corruption was prevailing. But the strength the supply of strength from the Spirit of Christ is continual. Uh, it does, it's uh, like a faucet that's always open. Uh, it doesn't uh, abandon us. That seed that's been planted is indestructible. And so, even though sin may triumph for a time, it hasn't won the war. It won a battle. And as you know, in a war, winning a battle doesn't necessarily mean you win the war. Uh, there is yet an army that's still alive, and it's going to fight another day. And from that supply, from the spirit, the regenerate side in time overcomes. Uh, it, it is a growth. Uh, some, as with a tree, some years are going to be better than others. You know, the growth is not always even and steady, uh, but overall, the regenerate uh, side, in other words, the, the spirit, will overcome. Um, think of how the seed planted in good soil is going to grow up and bear fruit. Just varying degrees, sometimes 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, but it does grow. Uh, In 1 John, uh, we are told that Christians are strong and that the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Later on it says, And everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so there is hope for the Christian to overcome sin. Uh, the dominion of sin has been broken. Uh, it is, you're not under bondage like you were before Christ. And by faith in Christ and through his grace, uh, there is the confident hope of growth in grace. And so uh, First Corinthians, no, Second Corinthians 7 speaks of uh, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That we cleanse ourselves from every defilement of soul and body, perfecting holiness, or, or completing holiness. It's like we aim towards greater completion and perfection as we fear God, as we uh, rest upon his promises and aim towards that end. Any questions on the doctrine of sanctification? Let me just close then with a question from the larger catechism, uh, just reviewing the difference between justification and sanctification. And uh, question 77, wherein do justification and sanctification differ? Although sanctification be inseparably joined with justification, yet they differ in that God and justification imputeth the righteousness of Christ, and sanctification is spirit infuseth grace and enable to the exercise thereof. In the former, sin is pardoned. In the other, it is subdued. In the one, uh, sorry, the one doth equally free all believers from the revenging wrath of God, and that perfectly in this life, that they never fall into condemnation. The other is neither equal in all, nor in this life perfect in any, but growing up to perfection." Are you all justified equally? Yes. Are you all justified perfectly? Yes. Are you all sanctified equally? No. Or perfectly? No. But we're growing up to that perfection, which we will reach one day on the day of Jesus Christ, even at death when our souls are made perfect in holiness. And that is what we aim at. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your grace through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that uh, brings us out of condemnation and also brings us out of the bondage of sin, that cruel master that was uh, hauling us off to death. We pray that you would work powerfully in our hearts and minds to subdue the sin that dwells within us, uh, that we might have true and good and holy desires and the steadfastness to put these things into action. Uh, that we might demonstrate your goodness and perfection and righteousness on earth. We pray that you would make your church a light in the earth, an example of your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.